Today's topic is, or title is, Jesus is blank. You fill in the blank. Who do you think Jesus is? And it's Matthew 16, verse 13 to 21. First slide, please. Uh, in review, and this is from last week, and I think it all, again, very cleverly fits together. It just rolls in from one topic to the other. From I mean, the whole situation, it's so good to read the Bible in context because it just... just it makes sense. All this flows together. So last week, we kind of talked about how the Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, those who are the distractors who are coming in. I mean, they should have known. They, why didn't they know the Messiah was there? Why did they not know Jesus the Messiah? They should have known. But they have an interest of their own. And they are there to distract. They, 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 the signs. Jesus gave plenty of signs. I mean, we know Jesus is the Messiah. There's no doubt about it. Jesus is the Messiah. But even the Forget the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even the common people who follow them around, they didn't stick around. You know, what is that? What is it about Christ that causes offense? I don't get it. But we see it even there. He had his devoted disciples who were there close by to the end. But the, oh, the rest of the people, the Pharisees, the religious folk, the common folk, they all just kind of here one moment, gone the other. <clears throat> so not seeing the signs. Again, that's what I put. Are you... Do you, not under, do you not see that Jesus is the Messiah? The Messiah is, the, I mean, these Pharisees actually are asking for more science. Come on, prove yourself, Jesus. And what they were doing, they were just basically being cheeky. Totally cheeky. God has made himself known to the world. He has made himself known to the world. Many different ways. He has revealed himself in his son. And we have the word of God here. And the testimony of the church. Failure to see him is truly failure on our part. And it does. It takes a great deal of humility to see God. It takes a great deal of humility to, to admit our sin and to come to Jesus on our knees. And if we don't see him, a lot of times it's because we don't want to give up ourselves and our own beliefs and opinions and sins and whatever. So failure to see him is because we don't want to see him. The Pharisees didn't want to see him. They didn't want the new thing, Jesus Christ. The Messiah, even though he wasn't the new thing, he was the completion. <laughs> you know, he wasn't new, he was the completion. He fulfilled all the scriptures. So we need to learn to discern what God is doing right now. And that even goes with what we were praying earlier about the signs of the times, what's going on just now. Discern, be, be mindful of what's going on and know how to pray and know how God's interacting with what's going on in the world. Not realizing and recognizing that he hasn't given up. He's there, he's doing something, and he can and will use you and I. You might feel small, you might feel weak, you might feel, yeah, right, this is a too big of a job for me, but God wants to use every single one of us, like he did the 12, just 12, that's all he had in the whole world <laughs> back then. Just 12, the whole world. 12 against the world. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's more than just 12 Christians in the world today. You know, so we're not that small compared to what Jesus started with. But beware of this, this Pharisees and Sadducees. Again, distractions. What will get us away from following God? There will be many distractions in life that will attempt to keep you from knowing God. These distractions are not cute 
or sophisticated. And the reason why I put that is because a lot of people think it's clever to come up with, and we're going to see a video in a moment here about what people think they, Jesus might be. It's a video there, by the way. And so it's, so it's like cute, sophisticated, you know, like, you know, like Richard Dawkins and his books about just so sophisticated about the God who's not there and yada, 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 yada. But the reality is, these are all distractions sent from Satan. We know God's real. We know God exists. God has revealed himself. If we refuse to see him, it's because we just are looking for excuses. And we talked about that last week. It's like if God put his face to the cloud, we would no longer have atheists, but we would have a new group of God-haters called the hate when God puts his face in the skyists. You know what I'm saying? There's always going to be a reason to refuse God. There's always going to be a reason to, or an excuse to not believe so these distractions, again, they're not cute. They're sinful and tend to permeate. That's what's called yeast, to permeate and saturate your life with, with sin. And sin ultimately is death, corruption. So the question is, who do we say that Jesus is? And that's the topic for this, this morning. Peter, oh, he knew who Jesus was. And he answered the question rightly. But what I like is why he answered the question rightly. That's very important. Why did Peter answer the question rightly that Jesus is the, we'll find out in a second. In Matthew 16, starting verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, kind of like what we saw there, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Some say that he was a little baby Jesus. Some say he was some good guy, some ethical guy, some yada, yada, all these different things that, like we saw here. But of course here, John the Baptist, maybe, maybe he was John the Baptist because he was important. He was powerful. He was political. He was, people loved him. Maybe he was Elijah. Again, people were waiting for Elijah to return because he ascended into, and, and they were expecting through prophecy that he would come back. And you know what? Jeremiah, another prophet, or maybe some other prophet. Those, these are like the rock stars of Israel. You know what I'm saying? These are the rock stars. These are the pop culture rock stars of Israel. You know, especially the, the Elijah and the Jeremiah, the, the Old Testament prophets. So they think he's one of those rock stars. No, he's a much more, much more than that. He's much more than that. But what do you, he said, what do you say that I am? Peter, listen, who do you say I am? They think I'm one of these, possibly one of these rock stars, one of these prophets. Well, who do you say that I am? And Simon says, you're the Messiah, the Messiah, the one and only, the anointed one, the Christ, the one sent by God to bring peace upon earth, to, to finish Satan, to, to, to do away with our sin. He, the Messiah is only one. All the Russell's guys are just prophets. They're just people. They're just like, you know, we have one guy suggesting how Jesus might be one of many different kind of gurus, good ethical teachers. No, Jesus is the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. I like about that is because he's, he's the Messiah, but specifically the son of the living God. Here he f confesses the deity of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And this is powerful. This is why Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh or blood. You didn't 
rationalize it and reason it out through your clever brain. But no, this was revealed to you by the Father in heaven. And it's true, by the way. It's true. Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And it was revealed to him by God. These people, most of them, if not all of them, have not been have not had that revelation. God has not spoken to them yet. How does God speak to them? We're going we're gonna to find out in a moment. But think about yourself. How did God speak to you when it was revealed to you that he was the son of God, the Messiah, right? Realizing, again, going off what the Pharisees were, were doing last week, trying to distract, right? There's a lot of distractions in this world now where people will say that Jesus is not the son of God. There are people who call themselves Christians who say that Jesus is not the son of God. Distractions, 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 okay? We need to be very careful to realize that the church is built upon this principle. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that's why he says this truth, this revelation, I will build my church. He goes on to say, I tell you that you are Peter, a little rock, a rock, a stone, something that can easily be moved. And we know that Peter is, you know, he's easily moved. He's, he's, not, he's weak like everyone else. In Matthew, Mark 14, we see Peter denying Jesus three times, you know. And eventually Peter himself was, was martyred, you know. He wasn't even the leader of the church. James was the leader of the church. But Peter was very important. He was very important. And this insight that Peter has, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is the rock. On this rock, this large stone, this reality, this revelation of Christ's deity. When people come to know Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, his deity. It's that revelation, is that truth that has built the church. And it's attacks against that truth that Satan wants to crumble the church. But can Satan crumble the church? Can Satan break through the church? Can Satan defeat the church? He says here that this, on this truth, on this reality of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, that he will build his church. Next slide, please. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Satan cannot defeat it. Nothing can defeat it. Here's a modern depiction of a fellow named Orcus. What is the Hades? The grave, death, hell. In biblical Greek in its time, it is associated with Orcus. The infernal regions, a dark and dismal place in the very depths of the earth. The common um, receptacle of the disembodied spirits. Usually Hades is just the abode of the wicked. We have in Luke 16, 23, Revelation 20, 13, and 14, a very uncomfortable place. I thought that was kind of a cheeky little way to end that. And that's actually from the, uh, the, the Dictionary of New Testament Theology. So... We think again about what's going on today in our culture and all the crazy things and all the anti-Christians, everything that's anti-Christ, everything that gives us fear and anxiety that wants to rip us off from what God's promised us, all these things that wind us up, even big scary monsters like that cannot rip us off. Even the thought of the boogeyman cannot rip us off. Why? Because you see, the church not even the gates of Hades or hell or the grave or death can overcome it. Even death itself can overcome the church, what Christ has done. And it's what built upon the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. The enemy will say, no, he's not the Messiah. He is the Messiah. That 
is very crucially important. That's the heart and the soul. There are many who will say, oh, Jesus is not the Son of God. No, false. He is the Son of God. Is this truth that has built the church? So again, our anxieties of hell has been overcome. Fear of death, finality, to cease from existing. You think about what's one of the things that people fear the most is not existing anymore, not being around. Or worse, the constant experience of pain. What's hell like? What's it like to be at a loss? What if I'm wrong? Being conquered, captured, tortured, the loss of family, friends, life, meaning, purpose, value. All these things are the things that we fear. But, but Jesus says there's no fear. The gates of Hades will not overcome what, what God is doing through the Messiah, through the Messiah who is the Son of the living God. So do we believe that? Do we believe it? Do we believe the church will, will be overcome or will not be overcome? It, it might have some ugly days. It might have some grandiose days. But it will not be overcome. I believe that God's work in the kingdom of heaven will abound and it will continue to abound. He, he may go through ups. He may go through downs. Satan might try to attack it and it might look like he's winning. But the reality is the gates of Hades will not overcome Next slide, please. And going on, Matthew 16, 19, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Look at the power that these keys, will be, these keys of he- the kingdom of heaven, and we're very interested in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus t- teaches a lot about the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys, and these things will bind on earth, and they will all, Whatever you bind on earth, rather, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, this, this statement has a lot of cultural significance at the time. Uh, talking about, like the, again, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the, the leaders of the time, and what they would do their, when they would make their laws. you know. And then he ordered disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I actually put that in too soon. I'm going to get to that one later. But let's talk about a little bit about these keys and what's binding and loosening. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus already told us that, and we already believe and we already know that, right? We believe it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not far away. We don't have to wait to die to find the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is at hand, which means it's as easily accessible as anything that I can touch. It's, it's available to us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means that grasp. You can grab it. If you're driving a car, all your components need to be at hand. If not, you're going to get an accident. If, if, if you put your, your accelerator and your brake pedal here, and they put your steering wheel in the back seat, that's a problem. <laughs> you need everything at hand so you can drive the car. That's what he's talking about when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's accessible. We can use it. It's, it's, it ooh, it's all there. It's all intergrained. God's will in heaven shall become a reality on earth. Again, that's the connection, the binding and loosening heaven and earth. His will. What does God want? His will. It shall become a reality on earth through the influential presence and the work of the church. Again, this rock, based upon the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We see where the keys might be coming in here. Jesus told his disciples to pray, to pray. And disciples should pray. We shall pray. We ought to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Okay, this is, again, this isn't, a, this isn't like pie in the sky kind of praying, like, wouldn't it be great, God, <laughs> if you actually can do things on earth? No, he's, we're asking God, your kingdom come, this kingdom that's at hand, your will be done. Her, heaven's a great place, it's perfect. We want that kind of government here. We want that kind of society here. We want that kind of peace here. Make it happen, God. How does it happen? Through the church and the influence of the church. We need to be praying these things. We need to be believing and preaching and teaching the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is what the church is all about. And we're going to see Peter bind and loosen in a few moments. And again, binding and loosening, it, it talks about what's right and what's wrong. This is true and this is false. This is right and this is wrong. It rightly describes the kingdom of God. You see, don't forget that these guys, including Peter, the, you know, I'm talking about the apostles just now. They're the, the, and the, and the fellows who documented and wrote the, the, the New Testament, for instance. These are the closest friends to Jesus, especially the 12, right? The apostles. They received from Christ and then gave to the world right doctrine. How do they give them right doctrine? How do we know right doctrine? We know it because it's right here in our laps. This is right doctrine right here. Here it is. These guys were so close to Jesus. They knew, they understood, he taught, they learned, they delivered. The Bible, the gospel. And we're gonna see Peter in just a moment give the gospel in such a wonderful, powerful way. It is in fact him presenting the keys to the kingdom of heaven. By speaking the truth of Jesus' Jesus's deity, Peter started something that will never stop. Once, and that's what he says again, you know, it won't stop. Nothing can defeat, nothing can stop. Not even the gates of hell can stop this process of God's will being done on earth as is in heaven. It's God's will. The kingdom of heaven opened to the Jews in Acts 2, 3, okay, it opened to the Samaritans in Acts 8, and then finally to the Gentiles in Acts 10. We see that through the history book of the church. That's what Acts is. It's the history book of the early church, basically. So we see, of course, first the Jews in Acts 2, 3, the Samaritans, who are the kind of half-breeds, in Acts 8, and then finally the Gentiles, who are the no-breeds, <laughs> in Acts 10. The whole world, basically. In fact, let's look at it real quick in the next slide. This is a very powerful preaching. And I'm just going to read through it like I do sometimes. Sometimes I like to read without commentating. If I ever teach Acts 2, I will commentate. But right now I just want to read through it. Pretend like you were here with Peter as he's preaching this. Watching him opening up the kingdom of heaven to the group of people. And look at the response. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. Acts 2.14. Raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was spoken of by the prophet Joel. I like how Peter uses scripture. That's a very important key. He uses scripture. Look at what Joel says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Remember these things that we see, these signs, that what, show us more signs. No, they're there. We know it. It was accepted through our culture. I'm commentating. I apologize. Just want to say that. Okay. Miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You know it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. How awesome is that? Deliberately, God knew. He understood. Okay. He was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's impossible for death to keep his hold on Jesus, who is the living son of God. David said this about him. Again, he's going back to scriptures. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Again, the fear of death, the fear of not existing any longer, the fear of dying and never being alive again. David was concerned about that as well. But the gates of hell will not go against what God's doing here, the building of the church. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, You will fill me with joy in your presence. God's kingdom's interested in life, in joy, in his presence. We find this joy. Without God, there is no joy. With God, in his presence, there is joy. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Again, you've heard it, you've seen it. You know it. It's happening. You know what Jesus did. Exalted to the right hand of God, he had received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he had poured out what you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is him talking about Jesus and God. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, To Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The difference here between this and the opposite of this, say a no response, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told him to wait. Now, we're going to hold on to the idea of waiting in just a moment. Waiting is important. Because again, God's will sometimes also includes God's timing. Okay? Here the time was right and the response was excellent. The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was moving, there was power, there was just, there was clarity of thought and mind. People heard, understood, and they were moved to repentance, an important element, repentance. Change us, change our ways, God. What shall we do? That's repentance. What do we do? 
What do we do? What do I do? What's, what, 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 what now? What now? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Repentance, of course, a very important part of the gospel is, is, is repentance. Repent. You need to change and be baptized. Baptized. Be immersed in God's presence. Be immersed. There's a symbolic baptism, but there's also the reality of baptism to be immersed with God. Be immersed with His presence. Be immersed with His spirit. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Wow, that should be a bumper sticker right there, put on all of our cars. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Because that is, there we go. We see it in the first century. We have it now in the 21st century. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Praise God. That's what happens when the, king, when the keys of God loosens and binds. And look at that. The power of God. But it takes time sometimes. I'm going to finish up this last slide. I'm sorry I'm going late today. A strange pause. That's the next slide. It's a strange pause though. And I put this strange pause in evangelism because I can see Peter, he's ready probably in his mind, in his heart. He's excited, he's fired up. He's ready right now to go and tell everyone about the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But it wasn't for many years until that day I just wrote in Acts 2 happened. Jesus said, but wait for now. He ordered the disciples, do not tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Wait, it's not time yet. So sometimes, sometimes God's timing seems a bit odd to us as people. But, 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 but you just said that the kingdom keys and binding and loosening and power and no Hades. Let's just go for it. Let's do it now. Come on, let's bust it. We got you, Jesus. Come on, let's do it. You're like our power source. Fire it up. It's not time yet. And there's an important thing that has to happen first. A very important thing has to happen first. What? What? Peter was just confirmed that he was the Messiah, but still we have to wait. Why? Because it's very necessary for the next verse. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to explain to the disciples. This is the next process. That's what I like about the scriptures. It makes sense. Here's the, but here's what has to happen first. This is necessary. Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is the important key of the gospel we just read. Remember Peter just said in Acts 2? This was the key of it. This is what moved people. It's great that the Messiah is there. It's great that he's doing wonderful things. But he needs to die for the new covenant to be a reality. This thing that we celebrate with communion today, it is a reality. But this has to happen first in order for it to be a real, meaningful reality. To have right forgiveness of sins, relationship with God. It's, it's, it's great. Let's go tell everyone, Peter says. But he has to die first. So he says, just hold on a second, guys. God's ways like his timing, might seem strange to the human perspective. However, without this very important element of Christ's ministry, the cross, there would be truly no good news. Because without the cross, there is no good news of the gospel. It's like, guess what? You're stuck in your sin. The end. But the good news of the gospel is the fact that we have been saved through the cross. We need to have this. It doesn't matter who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. But he needs to die in order for us to have right relationship with God. So a strange pause needs to occur. And so what's going on right now in our lives? I don't know. It might be a strange pause. 
Are you waiting for something that necessarily has to happen? Don't know. I don't know. I look in my Bible and I try to find out. You look in your Bibles and you try to find out. But let's just be mindful. Let's be not like the Pharisees. So when we see the signs of time, we can rightly discern what's going on.